talking about bringing. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Mark chapter 2. Many of you are pulling out your phones because that's where your Bibles are these days. Mark chapter 2, the passage will also be on the screen, and I'm going to read to you from the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2, after which we'll go ahead and pray and begin our sermon. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's Word. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Verse 3, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat with the man lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up and took his mat and walked in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's God's word. Let's pray. Our God, we, this morning, long to see something like this. Right now, in this place, physically here at Central Foundation or through technology via Zoom, we want to see your healing power on display. We need that healing power. We need the presence of God, the presence of Jesus in this place. And so meet us now as we look at this passage. Give us insight, give us wisdom, and help us see Jesus. We ask all this for your glory and for our good, praying together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Now, as I've mentioned, vision and values, we want to be a community bringing our friends to Jesus. And to help us understand what we mean by that, bringing our friends to Jesus, we're going to spend this Sunday and next Sunday looking at this wonderfully rich passage from Mark chapter 2. And I hope that as a church, this passage becomes foundational for us, that it becomes formative for us. Here's why. In this story, there's a person who experienced the wonderful, radical, holistic healing from Jesus. But that man would not have experienced that healing if his friends hadn't brought him to Jesus. If the friends didn't bring him, he wouldn't have experienced the fullness of Jesus' healing. Now, I want you to experience Jesus' healing in a holistic way. 
I want our city to be filled with people who have encountered the life-transforming power of Jesus. But it won't happen unless people are brought to Jesus by people like you. And so if we're going to be a church that takes seriously seeing Jesus' healing power on display in our city, it's going to be because as individuals, individually, but also collectively as a church, we say we're bringing our friends to Christ. And this passage shows us not only why that's important, but how to do it. And so the outline for today's sermon, as we look at sort of part one of this passage, here's what I want to show you. First, why they brought their friend to Jesus. Second, how they brought their friend to Jesus. And then third, how we can become a church that brings people to Jesus. So why they brought their friend, how they brought their friend, and how we can become the kind of community that brings people throughout London to Jesus Christ. So first, why did they bring their friend to Jesus? Now, let me set the context. Mark chapter 2 This is early in Jesus' ministry, and he's growing in popularity. You might say he's trending, even though they didn't have that term back then. Jesus is trending. And people are interested in learning more about who he is and what he's doing. They've heard about his teaching. They've heard about the miracles he's performing. So the text says that Jesus came back home. He had been from a place called Capernaum. And Jesus gets to the house where he's staying, and he begins teaching. And the place is packed. You know how sometimes we use the phrase standing room only? Well, there wasn't even standing room here. The place was packed. Jesus is preaching. And there are a couple of people in the town who realize Jesus is here. And we've heard that he's a miracle worker. We've heard that he does healings. And they think of their friend, a man who we are told is paralyzed. And they say, now's our chance We're going to bring our paralyzed friend to Jesus, and Jesus will heal him. So they carry their friend to the place where Jesus is preaching. And when they get there, they realize the place is too filled. They can't get in. There's literally no room. There's no door. There's no window. There's no way to get their friend into the house. And so they decide to do something crazy and creative. They climb up onto the roof. They bust a hole in the roof. And they lower their friend down into the very presence of Jesus while he's teaching. I want you to feel that this is a crazy scene. Imagine as I'm preaching, if someone starts jackhammering the roof and lowers somebody right down into our presence, we'd say, what is going on? That's the scene. And what a scene it is. Four men who were passionate about bringing their friend to Jesus Christ in the middle of such a creative and crazy scene. So here's the question. Why did they do it? Why? The first answer has to be love. They must have loved this friend so much that they were willing to go through all this trouble to make sure that their friend had a chance to encounter Jesus Christ. Love must have been their motivation. And I want you to hear me, church. We will never be a community that brings people to Jesus if love is not our ultimate motivation. Love for others and love for our city. Now, notice the character of the love that these guys had. It was a sacrificial love. Many of us, when we think about our relationships, we think in selfish ways. And I want us to consider that. 
What I mean is you evaluate your relationships based on what you're going to get out of them. So you pick friends and you even pursue romantic relationships because of the benefits that it's going to bring into your life. And that's not all bad. We do want to be with people that make us feel a certain way. But what I want you to see at this moment is that these friends were showing a kind of love that was totally sacrificial. They stood to gain nothing by carrying this man to Jesus. This was a completely others-centered and sacrificial kind of love. And that love was motivating or characterizing their action to bring their friend to Jesus. And I know and I hope that as we as a community grow in bringing others to encounter Jesus, it's going to be because we're marked by love. But here's the trick, and this is what you've got to see. Even though it's clear that these men love their friend, what we don't know is what kind of relationship they had before this day. This is so important. It's possible that these five guys, so the four men carrying him, the paralyzed friend, it's possible that they grew up together. They were best friends for all of life. Or maybe it was this day that they met for the first time. You see, the passage doesn't tell us anything about the history of the relationship, only that it was one of love. But what I love about this story is that it invites us to imagine maybe there's someone in your life who you've grown up with and known for years and years, and they're on your heart to be brought to Jesus. But maybe it's someone you've met for the very first time, a colleague or someone at your gym, maybe someone that you pass on the street or meet at a coffee shop. What matters is not the depth or the degree of the relationship, but that it's one marked by love. And so what we want to be praying for and asking God to do is help us be a church that's filled with love for people, people that we've known for years and years and people that we've met for the very first time. Because love has to be the primary motivation to, as we'll see, go through many obstacles to bring another person to Jesus. And it's my conviction that the most loving thing that you can do for another person is bring them to Christ. The most loving thing that you can do for another person is to help them experience the fullness of Jesus' healing. Perhaps some of you have heard of the American magician duo Penn and Teller. They go around doing magic shows. And there was a time where Penn Gillette, who's one of the men in this duo, was after a show confronted by someone who was a Christian. Now, Penn Gillette is a self-described atheist. He does not believe in Christianity. He does not believe in God. But one day after one of his shows, someone comes up to him who's a Christian, hands him a Bible and some literature about considering Christianity. And the media, as they saw this happen, picked up on the story. And eventually they interviewed Mr. Gillette and they said, hey, after that show, this Christian came up to you. You must have been so offended. You must have been so put off that someone would shove their faith into your face. And listen to what Penn Gillette said. He says to the news person, I've always said that actually I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. He goes on to say, if you actually believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, 
And atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize or evangelize and just say, leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. How much, he says, do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of the doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point at which I just tackle you. And this is even more important than that. Do you hear what he's saying? The matter of the truth that we're considering, the matter of what's at stake, I don't respect people who don't evangelize. He says, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus if you really believe that heaven and hell are at stake? In other words, if not telling someone about Jesus is a sign of indifference or even hatred, love becomes the primary motivation by which we say we want to bring our friends to Jesus. Because look at what's possible in meeting him. Look at what can happen. Look at how a life can be changed when you encounter the grace and the power of Jesus. So on one hand, as we look at these friends and we consider their motivation, why would they go through all this trouble to bring their friend to Jesus Christ? Love. The most loving thing you can do for someone is to bring them to Jesus. But the second thing, the second motivation that they had, and it's not just love, but it's also their confidence in the power and the grace of Jesus. I love this story. Because the friends are saying to themselves, if we can just get this guy into Jesus's presence, he's going to do the rest. He'll take it from there. And they are absolutely confident, so confident that they're willing to do property damage because they know if they can just get him into the presence of Jesus, Jesus will heal. Jesus will save. And so I ask myself and I ask us, are we so confident in Jesus' grace and power that we know just coming into his presence brings healing? Or maybe, and I've had to ask myself this for months as I've been preparing this sermon, maybe the reason that I'm so ambivalent about bringing people to Jesus is because my confidence in his grace and power is actually much too small. Maybe my thoughts about Jesus are too little, and I need this passage to awaken me to consider how gracious and how powerful Jesus really is, how much he longs to heal and longs to save. About a hundred years ago, there was a professor of theology named B.B. Warfield, taught at Princeton, and he did this remarkable study of the New Testament, and he asked what can we say about the emotional life of Jesus Christ? What a fascinating question. I mean, what were Jesus's main emotions? What were his deepest feelings? So, this professor surveys the whole Bible, and he looks especially at the Gospels, and he asks the question, what emotion is most used to describe how Jesus felt? And you know what his answer was? I mean, how would you answer the question? If you had to say, what one emotion or feeling most describes Jesus? Well, he did the study, and he concluded that the word used more often than any other was compassion. The main emotion that Jesus Christ felt as he walked through this earth was compassion. Now, what is compassion? It's deep feeling that leads to action. 
If you walk by someone in need and you say, oh my gosh, that's so sad, I feel so terrible for them. Okay, where's our reservation? And you just keep going. That's pity, but it's not compassion. Compassion starts with feeling, but it always leads to action. And everywhere in Jesus' life, as he encounters great need, like he does with this man who was paralyzed, Jesus has compassion. It's deep feeling, brokenness and sadness because of this man's plight, but it leads to action, it leads to healing, it leads to change. Jesus' whole life was marked by compassion. And friends, hear me, the main thing Jesus feels for you today the main thing that Jesus feels for our city is compassion. He longs to show you, he longs to show our city his healing power. He's filled with compassion for you. And I think if we as a church believed deeply that Jesus' main emotion towards us was compassion, we would be much eager to run into his presence than we are. And if we knew that the main way Jesus felt about London was compassionate, we would see the brokenness of this city and want to bring it as quickly as we could into the very presence of Jesus. That's how Jesus feels, compassion. And these friends knew if we can just bring this guy into the presence of Jesus, his compassion is going to overwhelm his paralysis. And the man is going to be healed. And so they did whatever it took, and they brought their friend to Jesus. Now, love and confidence in Jesus' grace and power. That's why they brought their friend to Jesus. But it leads us to the second question for our sermon, how did they do it? And here I mean this more practically. That was why love and confidence in Jesus, okay? But now how did they do it? How did they actually go from that deep feeling of love for their friend and turn it into action where they actually got their friend into the presence of Christ? Here's the answer. They did it personally, and they did it by overcoming obstacles. If you're going to bring someone to Jesus, that's how it always happens, personally and through many obstacles. So let's first talk about personally. They did not outsource their bringing their friend to Jesus. They did not say, oh, this is awesome. Jesus has come to town. I hope that Jesus holds a crusade and somehow our paralyzed friend gets there and encounters Jesus. They recognized that Jesus was in town. And if our friend was going to meet him, it's going to be because we bring him. And so they had to get involved personally. They weren't able to outsource their evangelism. They weren't able to outsource their sharing. They had to get involved. They had to, you might say, put skin in the game. And they carried him doing whatever it took. And that means for us, evangelism is at some level, and again, I use the word evangelism, that just means sharing our faith. It's always personal. It always involves getting involved personally. What can this look like practically? It means praying for your friends. It means building a relationship. It means getting to know people and actually caring about them. It means being willing to have your own schedule and time and energy interrupted. And I want to say that for some of you, bringing people to Jesus is, you might say, very content-based. You love talking theology, you love reading books, and so you're going to be handing out resources and saying, come to this event, that's great. 
But for others of you, the way that you're going to bring people to Jesus is through hospitality. You're going to say, come and have a meal or let's have coffee. Why? Because we're different. And our temperaments are different. Our personalities are different. So the passage doesn't always tell us, the Bible doesn't always say, this is exactly what you must do. What we're encouraged to do is use our personalities and to get involved personally, recognizing there are many ways that we can bring someone to Jesus Christ. So they get involved and they do so personally, but also, and second, they do it by overcoming obstacles. It was not easy for them to bring their friend to Jesus. Think about it. First thing they had to do was carry an adult throughout a city to another place. Now, I was traveling a little bit over the past couple of weeks. We have a little baby, which means when you travel, you have to bring an enormous amount of stuff. It's insane how much a little person requires to go somewhere. And, you know, carrying stuff all around is tough. It's exhausting. Imagine carrying an adult across a city. That's the first thing that these guys had to do. Now, when they get there to the place where they were going, the place is packed, literally packed. They cannot find a way in. Now, at that moment, they might have said to themselves, well, guys, it's just not going to work today. I mean, we, <laughs> we're tired, we're already sweating, and there's just no room. Too bad. But they are so filled with love for their friend that they will stop at nothing. There is no obstacle that will keep them. So they say to themselves, what we're going to do is we're going to climb up onto the roof we're going to dig a hole through, which would have been really hard work, and we're going to lower our friend right in the center of this house into Jesus' presence. Now, think about that. Do you realize how potentially embarrassing that would have been? I mean, imagine right now I'm preaching, and all of a sudden somebody starts climbing through that window. What would you all do? You would look at them, and we would all say, hi, can we help you? I mean, that's what's happening in this house, the potential embarrassment of these guys interrupting Jesus' sermon and lowering this man into the very presence of Jesus. In other words, this effort to bring him into the presence of Jesus was filled with obstacles. And they said, we have to overcome them. And I want us to know that as a church, if we're committed to bringing other people to Jesus, we're going to encounter loads of obstacles. Let me give you just a couple of them. Our obstacles are not that of breaking through roofs, thank God, and Central Foundation will be happy to know that. But our obstacles are more, you might say, modern. So there's the obstacle of fear. We're afraid of our reputation. If I actually tell somebody about Jesus, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to think and assume about me? And so we're afraid, afraid for our reputation. There's the obstacle a feeling like you're not smart enough. Oh, I can't tell anybody about Jesus because then they're going to ask me this question or that question and I don't know the answers. Oh, I better not talk about it. And so we feel like we don't know enough. There are cultural obstacles. For many people, the message of Christianity feels regressive, even outdated. And so there might be fear of identifying with Christianity because you're afraid of being associated with some of the worst views about Christianity that are seemed to be culturally outdated and regressive. And for many of us, and I know this personally for a lot of you, is the obstacle of persistence. You say, I've been trying for so long to talk to so-and-so about Jesus Christ. I've shared with them, I've invited them to things, and nothing ever happens 
and you say, I just don't know how much I've been trying and nothing works. I don't know how much longer I can do this. It's the obstacle of persistence. Now, I could go on, there's, but there are always obstacles in bringing someone to Jesus Christ. And the passage says that the way to respond to them is not surrender and defeat. Oh, this is too hard, but to get as creative as you can and bring your friends to Jesus Christ. There are obstacles, and creativity and commitment is what determined these friends actually breaking through that roof and bringing their friend into Jesus' presence. Now, all of that, you might say, is just information. But now, as we close our sermon, I want to ask the question, well, how do we become a kind of community that does this? How do we take all that information and turn it into action that actually makes Reality Church London a place that is filled with people who are passionate about helping London know Jesus Christ? And here's the answer. Love and confidence in Jesus. That's how we began our sermon. These friends brought their friend to Jesus because they loved him and they were confident that Jesus would heal. The only way that we're going to be a church that does this too is if we're filled with love and we're completely confident in Jesus' grace and healing power. How do we become filled with love? How do we become filled with confidence? And here's a shift that I want us to consider as we close our sermon. This is really important. Up till now, as I've been teaching, as I've been sharing, we've been looking at this story, thinking of ourselves as the heroes. We're the ones who are going to bring our friends to Jesus. And that's important. We've been talking about that. But here's what I actually want us to see. The most important way for us to read this story is to see ourselves as the one who needs healing. You see, we are the paralyzed people. We are the people who need the healing of Jesus. Before we can bring anyone else to experience Jesus' saving work, we need it ourselves. You see, in the Bible, the word that's used to describe sharing your faith or evangelism, the word is testimony. Testimony. Now, if you're invited into a court of law to give testimony, the judge is not going to ask you, hey, such and such happened. How do you feel about it? What's your opinion? The judge is going to say, what did you see and what did you hear? What was your experience? And in Christian witness, testimony is what matters. It's saying, this is how I experienced Jesus. This is what he did in my life. There's a story in John chapter 9. There was a man who was blind, but he was healed by Jesus. And some enemies of Jesus come along and they start interrogating him. They start criticizing him. And they say, who healed you? What was he like? And they were really peppering him with questions. And eventually the formerly blind man says, I can't answer all your questions. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. I used to not be able to see, and then Jesus came into my life, and everything has been different when he did. That's testimony. We're never going to be a community that's passionate about bringing people to Jesus until we see how much we need Jesus ourselves. We're never going to say, Jesus can heal you, unless we recognize 
I know that because he healed me. I know Jesus is going to heal you because look at how he's healed me. We share out of an overflow. We share with others what we've experienced ourselves. And so, the invitation as we come now to our time of response is to look and to gaze deeply at Jesus Christ. For example, look to the cross. What do we see as Jesus died on the cross and died in our place? We see sacrificial love. We see love that is ultimately other-centered. The Bible says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself up for our sin. Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate example of sacrificial love. Jesus doesn't stay aloof. He got involved. He took on flesh and blood. And he overcame obstacles. Jesus overcame the ultimate obstacle. He went toe-to-toe with sin and death and the devil, and he won. I mean, Jesus, on the night before his death, is praying in the garden And he faces the ultimate obstacle. He says to his father, if there's any other way we can do this, please let it be. But then he surrenders and says, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus commits himself to the way of the cross because he knows it's through that death that your salvation is secured. And then Jesus, in showing forth his victory, rises again on the third day. He defeated the enemy. He overcame the obstacle. And so he has power and grace to heal. That's what we need today. That's what you need today. Now, next week, when we come back to this passage, we're going to talk a lot more about how Jesus' healing is holistic. Does he forgive sins? Yes, he does. Does he heal bodies? Absolutely. Does he change a city? You bet. And so the invitation for us this morning is to bring ourselves to be brought into Jesus' presence, to experience his sacrificial love, his grace and power to heal, because we need it. We need it spiritually. We need it physically. We need it emotionally. We need it culturally. We need Jesus, and we need his healing. Let's pray. Our God, as we come now to this time of response, we acknowledge our deep need for the healing, cleansing power of Jesus. And so use this time for transformation. Use this time to meet us, God, we pray. Send your spirit and open up our hearts to receive in a new way, in a fresh way, in a powerful way, the transformative healing work of Jesus. And help us to become a church that shares that power with our city, with our friends, with our family. Make us a community passionate about bringing people to Jesus because we ourselves have experienced his grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.